God. Praise God. I will tell you that I'm definitely not confident in myself, but I am confident in the one who allows me to speak, the one who lives inside of my heart. I have more confidence. I am more than confident in him, in my God, and, uh, and I believe that he's going to help me tonight uh, to speak to you. There's one verse that I wanted to read in your hearing before we pray uh, for the message tonight. That's Ephesians 3.20. It's familiar to a lot of us that have been around in the church uh, for a while, we, we know this verse, we quote this verse, we like this verse. It's a very positive verse. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Tonight I want to speak on this topic that my God is more than enough. My God is more than enough. Why don't we pray? Lord, we love you tonight. We're thankful, God, for your Hallelujah, the presence that we felt in this house today. We're thankful, Lord, for what you're doing in this congregation, this church body. God, I believe you have a word for us tonight. I pray, God, that we'd receive it in the name of Jesus and that you would move in this house in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I do need, there is something, if uh, Grant, if you'd like, just right out the corner out there on that little ledge. Um, sometimes we call it the storage ledge. But uh, there's sometimes things there. But uh, there's something there. It's like a big bowl. There's a couple things in it. Just bring that in here real quick. Last time I spoke up here, I did splash water on myself. I'm not going to do that. So I learned my lesson on that one. I'm not going to do that. If you just want to leave that uh, just anywhere down there, I'm going to call somebody else up in a minute. I just wanted to not have a delay later for somebody to go get that. Whoever doesn't mind getting wet can come up later and help me with that. A person of my choosing. No, I'm, te I'm really, I'm teasing. But, but there, is, there is something about the verse, Ephesians 3.20, that we read. It's far, he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, literally meaning that if you ask for something or if you think something, that's great. He can do way more than that. So anything that you ask in his name, he can exceed what you asked. But even beyond that, it says what you ask or even think things that you even think that he's able to do, he's able to do far more abundantly than that. That's why I believe that God is more than enough because when you say the phrase just enough, it doesn't sound positive. It's not a, it doesn't convey confidence when you say just enough. So the last thing I want to hear when I get on an airplane, for example, is the pilot to come on and say, folks, don't worry, I have just enough training to fly this airplane. Most likely we will arrive at the destination, not to worry. I've had just enough training to fly this airplane. That's not a good thing. You don't want to hear that. Or, or just before the doctor puts the mask on you to put you out, before he's going to operate on you, he says, hey, don't worry about it. I've never done this before, but I think I know just enough to be successful in this surgery. You don't want to hear that. Or, or even the car mechanic. There's a lot of YouTube mechanics in here. I'm one of them um, where you just kind of watch a video and, and then you go fix stuff. And it works most of the time, really, believe it or not. But, but you don't want to take your car into the mechanic and him say something like, hey, I've, I've not done this before, but I've read a lot of books, and I think I'm going to be able to fix your car because I know just enough to fix your car. You don't want to hear that. You want any of those kind of services that we expect in this life, we really want them to know more than enough. I want, I want my surgeon to know more than he has to know so that he's able to accomplish what I need him to accomplish. I don't want to take chances with things like that. I want them to know more than enough. And fortunately tonight, I can tell you about a God that I serve and that we felt in this place that is more than enough. Praise God. Do you believe that? Three of you. That's awesome. 
But God is more than enough. I don't want you to be fooled into thinking that the problem that you walked in here with, the sickness, the disease, the situation, whatever it is, might be too big for the God that I serve tonight because I'm telling you that he is more than enough. Amen? Praise God. And not only this, our God knows the solution. He knows the answer that you need. So we'll, we'll pray and ask for things, but God is, in his infinite wisdom knows the answer that we need, and he's able to provide. He's well able to accomplish that, uh, that need. Amen? Praise God. Uh, Psalms 23 is a familiar psalm for us. Uh, we've heard it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That psalm. Uh, but there is a, a, a passage in there in verse 5 that actually this is the part where I would need a volunteer. No one's going to get wet. Don't worry. Good. Anthony, you want to do it? Come on up here, bud. So here's what we're going to do. There's a, in verse 5, so what I need you to do, if you can, because I, I have this thing. I need you to hold both of those things, if you can, in separate hands. You got it? Cool. So give me a little bit of water. Let's go away from the speaker. They're going to get real nervous back there. <laughs> a little bit of water. Give it a half a cup, maybe. But that's it. That's good. That's good. Now, now the Bible says in Psalms 23, if you read through that, there's a passage in there that says, My cup, what? Runneth over in the King James, for you British folk. In the English Standard, it says, My cup overflows. My cup runneth over. My cup overflows. So this might be okay, right? And then we do this kind of stuff because you might remember this, right? So after we get done, this is what you remember. Is the cup, but but this might be okay for a while. It might be okay that well, okay, I'm, I'm getting by. I've got just enough. This might last me. But the Bible says this is not this is not what God has for you. God is not he, He's not here to give you a half a cup. But but God and just let it overflow. Just pour it all in there. Just keep on going. This is this is the image that God wants you to have. God wants to fill your cup to overflowing, where you can't even hold it in. It's just it's just overflowing. That's the God that I serve. A God that causes my cup to run over. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Just put that down somewhere over here. But thank you. That's a, that, is a, that is an awesome image to me. As I read that, I thought, why is it that I can't contain what he wants to do in my life? It's because I'm this finite human being. I'm just a man, but God is God, and he is so much bigger than me. Hallelujah. So whenever he begins to bless, there is no way that I can contain it. I'm unable to contain what he wants to do in my life, amen, and my cup runs over. So you wonder how, how in my life is this going to overflow? What is it, what does that even mean? I mean, I see the image, I see the cup overflowing, but certainly there's more practical advice, Justin, that you could give me. And I do want to go through a few things tonight of different, different ways that your life can overflow, that your cup can overflow. And the first is this, he is more than enough to heal your body. And he's more than enough to heal your mind, Amen. Praise God. I know we, all, we are all familiar with different sicknesses and things that, that happen in our bodies, but I'm going to tell you something. There is a battle against minds today, and my God is able. He is more than enough to heal your mind. The Bible says in Psalms 103, uh, 1 through 4, and I'll, I'll read this really verse 3 I'm getting to, but I love this psalm. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. I just wonder, because we're getting down to the verse that I wanted to read there, but I just wonder if there's something in there that we should understand that perhaps I need to bless the Lord first. Perhaps I need to extend a hand and just lift up that name that is above every name first. And then it goes on, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And then it says in verse 3, who forgives all of your iniquity. I'm thankful for that. 
And we'll get into that a little later. But And then the next, very next line, who heals all your diseases. What that means is you can't approach him with a disease that he can't heal. You can't approach him with a situation in your life, whatever it be, some kind of cancer or coronavirus, whatever it might be in, in, the, in, the, day, in the, the day that we live in. But there's not a disease that, that God is surprised by. There's not a disease that he can't heal. Amen? Do you believe that? Praise God. And verse 4 says, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I am so thankful for the God that I serve tonight. I'm so thankful to know him. Praise God. Amen. And we go on. And understanding that he's able to heal your body. In Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, there's, a, there's an occurrence here. And this is where Peter is going and he's preaching the gospel. And it says in Acts 5, 14, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And this is a little off topic. Can I tell you that I am believing that there is a multitude of men and women that are going to be in believing, that are going to come to the Lighthouse Church, and we're going to see an inflow of believers. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe that in Jesus' name. And God is making a way for that. Amen. Praise God. And verse 15, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. Some, they must have been pretty sick to have to be carried out into the streets. Laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits. And just to tie it in with Psalms 103, they were all healed, the Bible says in Acts 5 and 16. But it's amazing when I begin to think that the people just wanted to be in the shadow of the man of God. They had seen what God was able to do through Peter, and they just believed that faith that they had, that if I can just be in the shadow of that man that is empowered by God, that man filled with the Spirit. If I could just be in his shadow, I believe healing will come. And it does say all were healed. Amen? Praise God. If you go to Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, it says this, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, another man filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit, hallelujah, that we enjoy tonight. Amen? God was doing extraordinary miracles so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, meaning Paul, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That is power. That is God. Hallelujah. Moving through a man of God filled with the spirit, Paul. And I'm going to tell you that is the exact same spirit, that overflowing spirit that we are feeling in this place tonight, that you are filled with, that's inside of your heart. You have that spirit. Hallelujah. That whenever a, a handkerchief would just touch his skin and they would take it to the sick, they would be healed. Does somebody believe me? You believe that you've got that same spirit? In this place today, hallelujah, and we often like to talk about the lady with the issue of blood, and, and, uh, and, and we talk about that, and it's amazing to think that she didn't say that if I can just get to Jesus and if he can lay his hand on my head, I'm going to be healed. She didn't say that. She said if I could just touch what? The hem of his garment. If I could just touch the very lowest part of his clothing, then I can be healed. I don't need to touch the top. I don't need to touch his head, the shoulder, the arm. If I can just get a touch of the lowest part, the closest part of his garment to the ground, if I can just touch that, I can be healed. And praise God, by her faith, she was healed. Amen? Praise God. He is able, he is more than enough to heal your body and your mind. Amen? He's more than enough to deliver you from bondage. More than enough to deliver you from bondage. We know 
the story, and if you've been reading the Lighthouse Church plan, you would have passed through this uh, a few days or maybe a couple weeks ago, the, uh, the Israelites being delivered uh, from the Egyptians. And, and, and I don't want to necessarily read the whole thing here, but uh, Exodus 6, 6 and 7 says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with the great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. We serve a God that is well able to bring you out of bondage. Now, the, the Israelites were literally in bondage. I mean, they were, they were held captive. They were slaves to the Egyptians. But bondage is such a broad term today. It, it, there's so many things that seek to bind us. There's different entertainment things. There's pornography. There's substance abuse, physical, emotional abuse. There's impure thoughts and other ungodly distractions that the enemy tries to hurl at us. Bondage is everywhere today. And the world, believe it or not, and at my age now I laugh at it, wants you to think that you're in bondage. You're the one that goes to church and you live by those rules, so you are in bondage. Never mind that you can't go to sleep without a beer, but you're not in bondage. You know, you can't make it through a day without shooting up, but yeah, I'm the one in bondage because I've chosen to live for God and, and live a, a life like this, hallelujah. But we are not. We're the ones who are free, amen? Praise God. The enemy's tricky. The enemy is so sly today. He, he tries to introduce things that, that seem okay, and maybe they are on the surface. And being in youth ministry for as long as I've been, I can see it. I can see how God, uh, the enemy will inject things into a teenager's life that are innocent on the surface. The beginning of that is not that bad. But as you stay with it, it leads to a bondage, and it leads to a, hallelujah, a ripping away of a young person from the will of God. Now, that hurts to watch. As a, as a youth pastor, it is so difficult to watch when the enemy just injects something so innocent-looking, and it distracts a young person, and they, they, they wind up getting out of the will of God. It tears them away from a youth group, and, and you start to watch them fall away from church, and they're, they're going and seeking after other things. That is difficult for a youth pastor to watch, and I'm sure as a pastor it's difficult uh, with, the, with the whole church, but that's something that's so hard to see. It honestly makes me angry at the enemy. When I see the things that he does, the way he sneaks things in there. But I've traded my sorrows for joy. I've traded my sickness for healing. I've traded my sin for salvation. Amen. You cannot go wrong with a God who is more than enough. Amen. He is well able to deliver you. Trust in him tonight. Amen. Praise God. I want to thank Sister Rache for printing these for me. I thought I'd be cool. Uh, the cool cats like come up here with the computers. And, and I had really, I had really thought about like cutting out an apple shape, and putting it on the back of my computer, but uh, you know, then you guys would be thinking about that the whole time. Now you are, but uh, but I, I needed to have the paper. That's just me. But uh, but God is more than enough for your needs. He is the provider. Amen. Philippians four nineteen says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now I have seen people who have been provided for. I've seen the provision being given to other people, but not only that, I've been the recipient of the provision of God. Has anybody been the recipient of the provision of God? You know that he's a provider because there was a time where you weren't going to be able to make it, but somehow God showed up and provided a miracle for you and allowed you to make it through. I've been there. I've seen that. 
And I wanted to go through, there's a, a passage that may be familiar to many, but it's the, the, the story in Matthew chapter 15, 32 through 38. Matthew 15, 32 through 38. This is where Jesus feeds the 4,000. And as I read through this and studied this, there were so many things that jumped out at me. It's incredible. We've been in the high school, Sunday school class, we've been going through, um, it's, it's called a case for the Bible. It's a, a Bible study that comes from our uh, general youth division. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of studies. But we've been going through a case for the Bible. And it, it goes through and it, it talks about how uh, the authenticity of it. When you look at how the Bible has been preserved, when you look at all the different books and all the different writers, how they perfectly intermingle with each other and they don't contradict each other. They've been preserved over the years. It's unbelievable to look at. So whenever I read these, these words, I know that I'm reading the breath of God. It's God's thoughts that I'm reading. And I know there's things in there he wants me to pull out for my own life. And it says in Matthew 15, 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And he says this, I am unwilling to send them away hungry. It jumped out at me. Now I know he's literally talking about actual hunger. He says they haven't ate anything in three days, but I got to thinking he is unwilling to to send them away. That's Jesus' words. Jesus saying he's unwilling. And I begin to think that, I wonder if it's like that for us. When we come into the house of God, we show up here, we walk in with our, our, we all bring different issues and situations and problems. I believe that God is unwilling that you leave the way you came in. I believe that. The Bible says he's unwilling to send them away hungry. I think that whenever we come into church and we leave the exact same way we came in, I think that's not on him, right? That's on us because the Bible says he's unwilling to send you out the same way you came in. When you come into the house of God, you should leave filled. You should no longer be hungry. It's his will that you be filled and leave a different, a different way that you came in. And then it goes on. It says, uh, I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on their way. In verse 33, the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a, a crowd? Now, this is incredible to me because the disciples walked and talked with Jesus all day long. Every day. They watched miracles. They saw him heal people and raise people from the dead. But yet, again, they're doubting. They're doubting his ability to feed this 4,000 men and plus women and children. And it says uh, they were in a desolate place, it says, a desolate place. And I got to thinking, how many times have we been in desolate places? Where, have you been to the place where you were at the end of your resources? There was nothing else you could do. There was no way that you could provide what you needed to provide. You were out of resources, and you were in a desolate place. And that's where these people were right here, and we've been there too. But it says this. Here's what Jesus says. This is what's curious. He says, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? So he didn't say, he didn't say, go into town, go get a bunch of, go get enough bread to feed this many people. He asked them, what do you have? What have you brought here? What do you have with you? What is it that you have the ability to give? Think about that. So we all have issues and problems and things going on in our, in our lives, and God is never asking us to, to solve it. He's not asking you to provide the solution, but he's asking you to bring what you have. Bring only what you have. What can you give him? Maybe to some of us, it's literally just ourselves. And God says, I'll take it. He wants you to bring you bring to him your weaknesses, and he injects his strength. 
Bring to him your shortcomings, and he finds a way to meet the need. Amen? Praise God. Because you go into verse 37, they all ate and were satisfied. They took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. So not he took what they had, which wasn't even close to enough, seven loaves. They had seven baskets left over, and in the meantime, all the need was met. Everyone was full and satisfied, and they ended up with more than they started with. That is God. That is the strength of God that he is able to inject into your situation, amen? Because John 10.10 tells us that he came that you may have life and have it more abundantly, amen? In Romans 8.28, we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good, and those that are called according to his purpose. He's on your side, amen? Praise God, praise God. Um, The fourth thing, he has more than enough grace, more than enough grace. I love talking about grace with people. Grace is something that is, uh, that's not my daughter I'm talking about, but, but the grace of God. I do love talking about grace, but Gracie. But, uh, but understanding he has more than enough grace. Grace is so key. Understanding, I was just talking to Brother Matter, uh, uh, was it Monday night we were here? I think it was Thursday night maybe. Thursday night we were up here with music practice. We are talking about grace after, uh, after that practice. It's, it's something that really, if, if you got to come to where you understand that. Grace is something that a lot of people will walk into a church building and they'll think, well, I'm not good enough. And that's true. Okay, none of us are. None of us are good enough. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. We've all been places we shouldn't, said things we shouldn't. We've all been there. But grace is literally unmerited favor. Like you, don't, you haven't earned it. It's not something that you can earn. It's not earnable. It's not something you'll ever live up to. It's just available. It's just there for you. You just have access to it. That's something you got to understand. Whenever, Because we, we can get hung up on that, thinking that there's just no way I'm not good enough. There's no way that I'm going to be able to, God's not going to be able to save me because I'm too far gone. But you're not too far gone. Because his grace is just available. It's just there. It's just something for you to take advantage of. He already paid the price. And even if you've messed up, don't just just understand grace is there. Second Corinthians twelve nine. He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." And Paul said, "Therefore I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me." His grace is sufficient for you. Don't beat yourself up because you've messed up. Amen. Pick yourself up off the ground. God is able and well able, more than able. And he's more than enough to forgive any sin. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. His grace is more than enough. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm so thankful to know him today. The fifth thing, and this is really where I wanted to get to, I believe that, you know, whenever we, we have sermons and messages, we should always point toward salvation. What is available to you today? The good news, the gospel, amen? Praise God. He is more than enough to save your soul, amen? More than enough to save your soul. It's really the most important thing that we have to understand, that he has already paid that price. We need him. We're desperate for him. We have to have him to give us that God-given salvation, that we have access to that ultimate reward, amen? Praise God. Praise God. And, and I wanted to go through, and really this is just, I have a bunch of, I have all the scriptures here, but I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to hopefully tell the story with God's help. But we understand that Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. 
So he's, he understands. So Jesus knows what he has to do, the man Jesus. He understands that he has to die. He has to be the sacrifice. But to think that it was one of his own that betrayed him. Judas betrays him for 30 pieces of silver and, and, and sells him, shows him to the uh, Roman soldiers. It's incredible to think that, you know, and perhaps he somehow knew this was going to happen. But, but just to think that one of your own betrayed you and he gets taken into custody and and uh, after that, he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate is, uh, is, is saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you said it, you know. And the Bible tells us that the elders and the chief priests, those that should have been respected, should have known who he was, should have understood that he was the Christ, were accusing him, accusing him of things. And, and the Bible says he never opened his mouth. He just took it. And, the, and Pilate was amazed. Pilate marveled, the Bible says, because anyone else that would have been up there would have began vehemently de, uh, defending themselves, saying, no, 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 I didn't do that. I'm the king of kings. Don't, it's not right. It's not true. But he never opened his mouth. He understood what was to happen. He didn't even answer a single charge. And the governor, Pilate, was amazed. He was amazed at this. And then we have this image of, uh, of the crowd choosing Barabbas. It's incredible. Just in my mind, when I think of like Jesus and Barabbas standing up there, I'm just kind of picturing this elevated place and the crowds out there and, and Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas obviously being a criminal. I mean, he, he was where he should be. He should have been in prison. He should have been the one that was crucified. And, and the people began looking at, at Jesus and at Barabbas. And, and not a single one would say, and maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit in the crowd, there might have been one or two that were saying, let Jesus go. But the Bible seems to say the whole crowd was, was yelling, Barabbas, let, give us Barabbas. We want the criminal. Send the perfect man to die. We want Barabbas. We want the criminal. It's just amazing to think. And, and I struggle with how to portray it because it's such a gruesome thing when you think about what Jesus went through. And I think it's important to, to really put graphicness to it. I mean, he, 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 he suffered for you and I. And, and so think of it. He's been betrayed by one of his own. He's been accused by chief priests and elders. He didn't say anything. And then he's up there being compared to a criminal and the crowd, the people that he's going to die for, choose the criminal. They say release the criminal and crucify Jesus. We understand that Pilate, his wife, comes up and says, I've been tormented in a dream. You just got, you got to wash your hands of this. You don't want to be a part of this. And Pilate says, okay, I'm washing my, physically washes his hands there and says, this is on you. He actually says, his blood is on your hands, as he points to the crowd. Amazingly, that crowd says, his blood be on us and on our children. That's what the crowd said. His blood be on us and on our children. And not to even understand that God, Jesus was going to die, and then his blood would be available to them. They could be covered in that blood. They could be saved by that blood. Those very ones that were condemning him to die could be saved, hallelujah, by what he was going, that price that he was going to pay. And this is where we see Jesus. Now at this point, he's been condemned uh, to death, and he begins to be mocked. Uh, just picture it. Just, it honestly can bring tears to your eyes when you think about Jesus being mocked. He's, they're putting robes on him, and they put a crown of thorns and stuff it in his head, and, and there's, there's blood running down his face. They whip him with a, a whip with, with glass in it, which just tears away the flesh. They begin to, to mock him, and they begin to spit on him, on your king, on my king, on Jesus. They begin to spit on him mock him and hurt him and torture him and it's just incredible to think what an image to think that that he would be 
treated in that way, the King of kings, the one who came to give us salvation. Amen? Praise God, praise God. And then the crucifixion. He's been so weakened by torture, so weakened by how he was treated and tortured and beaten and so much blood that he had lost, he couldn't carry his own cross. He wasn't able to get up uh, to the hill with his cross. He had been too weakened, and an innocent bystander with, by name Simon had to carry his cross up to the top of the hill. And, and we understand he gets up there, and, and, uh, and he has to lay on, his, on the tree that he's going to be nailed to and he's going to die on. And that Roman soldier that's having to nail those stakes into his hands and into his feet, and in Jesus' mind he has to think, I'm doing this for you, for the one that was nailing the nails into his hands and into his feet. Jesus was going to die even for him. The crowd that was yelling out, crucify him. The crowd that wanted him to die, that, that, that condemned him to death. Jesus, in his mind, was saying, I'm doing this for all of you. It's for you that I'm paying this price. It's for you that I'm dying. And then he's, imagine he's nailed to this tree and it's dropped into the hole. And just the pain of being nailed to something that's just dropped. It's just that, that jerking of that cross. And then he hangs there with two criminals on either side. One criminal on each side of him hangs there like a criminal. Our king. Our king hangs there between criminals struggling for breath. The agony, the pain that he's going through. And all the while thinking, I'm doing this for all of you. All of you that are mocking me, all of you that are looking up here and, and you want me to die, you've condemned me to this, you, you're supporting this, you've said my blood can be on your hands, that's fine. He's saying, I'm doing this for you. I'm dying for you so that you could have the opportunity. So much so that as he's dying on the cross, within a short time of his death, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the God that I serve. I hope you can picture this in your mind, a God that is more than enough, a God that paid a price, a God that, that went to the cross, that, that gave all for you, that suffered, that died, that went through agony and pain, and he died on that cross, and even just before death would say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is love. That's a God. He is the creator of the universe. This is a God that created everything. He created each and one of those people in that crowd that day. Created each and every one of them. And yet, they wanted to kill him. And he's God. He's the King of kings. He's God Almighty. Hallelujah. But yet, he chose to die. It's, it's hard to even understand the love that he must have for us. Understanding that he's God. He could just go on being God. He didn't have to come to earth and die for you and me. That's love. When the king of kings decides to come and be the perfect sacrifice for you and I, that's love. Hallelujah. Praise God. The music can make their way up if they like. Um, El Shaddai is a, a term that we, we use in the Bible. We see it in the Bible, and the, and the interpretation of that would be something like God Almighty. And there's a lot of different ways that the language, um, yeah, there's language that we kind of understand more that it goes into. But God Almighty would be an interpretation of El Shaddai or, or an overpower, literally, literally meaning he overpowers all opposition. Anything that comes against you, he overpowers it. Anything that comes against him, he overpowers it. And there's the all-sufficient interpretation of that word. And, and either interpretation, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, of mighty or sufficient works for me because Almighty, the Almighty God is more than enough. He's more than sufficient to meet any need. His power 
and provision and great compassion. He sustains, nourishes, and protects me. He takes my weakness and gives strength. He takes my inadequate resources. He takes those and he's in his sufficiency. He uses them for great and powerful purposes. Can I tell you that there is no reason that I should even be up here? I'm not worthy to be here. I haven't done anything special. There's no reason for me to have a microphone tonight. Anybody could do better. Amen. But it's because he takes my weakness and makes strength. He is able to take my inadequacy and use me for great things. Why don't we stand? There's a peace in knowing that we're serving the God that knows where we are.